0: Necromancy, necromancy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around drinking coffee or whatever and talking about writing, publishing, and the creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your hosts today are John Schmidt and me, Jeannie Warner, with special guest Sandra Brinchley. No known relation. This is episode 35, Prophecy and Divination.
1: I predict we're going to have a great discussion but the topic is very large. So, gentle listeners, if there's a part we didn't cover, let us know and we'll come back to it in a later podcast.
0: Totally. Sandra is known in the Society for Creative Anachronism as Giseline D'Auxerre. She is a Laurel in Historic Divination Practices. woo <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Which I thought was terribly interesting because anybody interested in writing a historic fantasy might want something real to base it on. Or if you're developing your own system of prophecy and divination, your own world-building activity, consider what you need to set up or have in place in order to fit your nifty idea of a ritual. Because whether you think of a ritual and I want the world to fit it, or Mm -hmm. I want the world and what kind of a ritual would fit into it, it's a chicken egg. It's all about cutting hearts out, isn't it? Cutting hearts out? Not as
2: much as... as Not as much as it should be, I think.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, that's that's Haru spicy, right? Just to start right in with a fun word, Haru spicy. So that's um, anthropomosi is sacrificing victims. How long has that been going on? (laughs) I mean, really, historically speaking.
2: Really from as long as words were formed, as long ago as that. It's every culture had, uh, when they trampled over other cultures during wars and everything, and these people then became uh, their property, they could go, hey, these are now our sacrificial victims for things like rituals to improve the uh, agriculture, to make sure that the crops grow well, make sure that there are plenty of good births during the year, make sure the cows are good, all of that.
1: And, of course... To provide an, an example, the Iliad mm-hmm. opens with a sacrificial scene for winds. Yes. But going further back, uh, I'm going to plug something that I really love, being a science geek. William Calvin's book, How the Shaman Stole the Moon, looks at why you would want to be a prophet. And specifically, prophecy lunar eclipses. So I'm just dropping that in there. It's a good cross-cultural study on the ancient remains of early observatories.
0: Well, prophecy in itself has been oh so many. I mean, there's everybody's heard of Nostradamus, I think, and anybody who's watched Good Omens has at least familiar with Mother Shipley.
1: Yes. And Agnes Nutter.
0: Mm-hmm. And Agnes Nutter. Thank you, Neil Gaiman. <laughs> so there there have been prophets throughout time there was in to a certain extent, prophecy was religion as magic in a lot of ways. There was the prophet Elijah there was the prophet
1: you know prophecy is baked into at least the religious traditions that we are a part of
2: i It's odd because um prophecy actually and divination are pretty much the same thing. It's just prophecy has a grander scale to it. When you're talking about something that affects all of humanity is when they start calling it prophecy. Otherwise, it is really strictly just foretelling a a time, an incident, um, recovering information. Uh,
1: That's a really good distinction because my flip flip side of it is is that both prophecy, what the prophets do, although I don't know which one came first, and divination, figuring out what the divine wants, start as religion and then move away from being serious religious practices, although there are still people who flip the Bible open and stick a finger in, to being things like water witching, dowsing, casting coins, depending on your culture. Um, in a world building sense, though, what I want to ask you is we have so many examples of modern Prophecy divination magic you've studied more ancient models. I believe specializing uh, in the medieval Um, And you of course can correct but that the medievals were looking back to the Greeks and Romans What are we? Getting wrong. How has our view shifted? What have you found out?
2: Um, my research actually goes um, is mostly centered around Western Europe Pre sixteen hundreds, but probably starting about fall of Rome era, because otherwise Rome says hey, <laughs> I've fallen and
1: I can't get up. Yeah,
2: there's there's so many. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different styles of divination over all cultures, over all countries, over all eras, and they've sometimes have morphed or they have become. Uh, very distinct and then spidered off into their own other semblances, that its I wouldn't be out of a rabbit hole to be able to talk to anybody if I tried to research at all. So I had to actually um, constrain myself to a certain area and a certain time to research. And even that's – I've been doing that for 15 years, and I'm still going.
0: Well, my my first run into it was going to an SCA event, to crown tournament, where they had a big circle – full of um, numbers and letters and things. And they let the chicken loose in the middle of it to see if the chicken could tell them who was going to win crown tournament.
1: And that was you.
2: That was actually me. I was going, you were at that event?
0: <laughs> yes, I was at that event. So she keeps forgetting that i have been around. But but it was it's it was as valid as anything else. It was, um, when a lot of people think of the Middle Ages, the image that comes to mind, the first and foremost is the tarot. Tarot cards, you mm-hmm. know, they were very – somebody said, oh, they're very Italian, and somebody else was like, no, they're very French. So they were the father of our own playing cards now, so.
2: Actually, a little bit – I'm going to keep using that word, and I hate using the word actually because it reminds me of Hermione Granger. Okay,
0: everyone who says
2: actually we have to take a
0: drink. Drink.
2: <laughs> drink. Mm. I just remember, it just reminds me of Hermione Granger going, "No, oh, I'm not going to do that. Playing cards came first. Playing cards had been around for easily – hundreds and hundreds of years. And from there, about uh, mid to late 1400s, I think actually mid 1400s. No, I'm sorry. Uh, late 1300s, um, early 1400s, you get the tarot deck. And really, they're just another kind of uh, Trump game, like uh Pinochle or, or
1: bridge. bridge.
2: Exactly. Hearts, spades. Exactly. But they had different, well, these ones did have particularly different suits. Um, And then you had all these wonderful face cards. And the Mm -hmm. person who designed them, designed them after like classic uh, archetypes in the world. You have the Pope, you have the King, you have the Queen, the Emperor, the Empress. You have the Hermit, the Fool, all of that. And because the pictures and the imagery were so cool, they kept getting played on over and over and over again in literature, in poetry, in paintings. And then further on... And it wasn't until mid to late 1600s when they actually started getting written down usage of being fortune telling cards.
0: Cool. So, so that's the, not even as period as people think then. Yeah, and that's actually so, one of the fun So things. the
1: tarot is backwards. And, uh, or rather, our mistaken history of the tarot actually. Drank, drink. Drink. <laughs> not just you.
0: Okay. Mm.
1: <laughs> our written... Our... our Mistaken knowledge of the tarot is that it started as divination, and you're saying it started as cards and games. Uh, remember, of course, that the Catholic Church at this point promulgated symbology heavily, so that even, uh, even if you couldn't read, and the only thing you was Latin, you had the symbols to remind you of the lessons the priests were interpreting for you.
2: And there's actually an incredible book out there called Explaining the Tarot. It's a thin book. You can get it on um, Amazon. We'll put a link. Yeah. And it has two different individuals from the 16th century, um, but at two different times in the 16th century, they were paid by patrons to explain what these... Cards in the tarot were, and they both have dramatically different readings of them. Excellent. like one is more political-based, one is more the folklore and the mythology-based. And it it really just shows you how people were thinking. You could just look at these and come up with anything that your heart desired if you wanted to make a story. They actually were for a time used as a I, I want to call it a um parlor, a parlor game,
1: mm-hmm. where
2: you would flip over a card in a group of people, and your thing is that on that card, you had to come up with, like, a three-line poem right there on the on the instant.
1: Sounds like my kind of game.
0: I, I have this feeling that that's going to be an episode. We're going to play the game, and it's going to be a poem, and John's going to win.
1: And we'll look into that in the future, but <laughs> please go on about Tarot.
2: Well, I actually want to back up a little bit because I know we're trying to talk about this in the literature base and in storytelling and this, that, and the other – Divination is broken down to one, let's say, two simple things. It is based on randomness. It is based on anything with a random outcome. So if you take a glass of water and you dribble it onto a flat surface like a table, the water is never going to land the same way twice. It's a random outcome. This is the same with sand. The same, like if you're letting sand pour through your fingers.
1: With with tea leaves in a cup.
2: Tea leaves in a cup. If you are flipping the the great penny flip. Flipping so a coin. Flipping a coin. Um, there is a oh gosh, I think it's called oh I think it's called Rodomancy or, but it's in the Bible towards the beginning, and it is where they're trying to decide what direction to take. And so what they've done is they've taken arrows and they've signed or, or signed little pieces of paper saying this way or that way, tied it to the arrows, and then fired them. Whichever one went furthest is the way they went.
1: Wow.
0: So it was Well, like, that's okay. actually straight over there in a Russian fairy tale. Don't you remember how it was, uh, there was always three sons and the youngest was named Peter and he fired an arrow and it went down a mouse hole? And so he went down the mouse hole and he met the princess and then ended up rich and better and married the pretty girl and and everything. But, yeah, that, was, that still is in use in uh, Russian folklore in the, I'm going to call it, 16th century, probably earlier.
2: The whole thing about uh, picking petals off of a daisy saying, she mm-hmm. loves me, she loves me not, that is actually found in medieval texts as a form of divination. Okay, mm-hmm. so first part of divination
0: has... Chance, what's the next part?
1: Randomness and...
2: Um, the randomness and the understanding of why you do it.
1: I would love to hear more about this.
2: Okay. <laughs> it's, it's understanding why man, mankind, uh, wants to perform divination. And that one is even in itself two parts. But it's really, man hates responsibility.
1: We're all slackers. Say
2: that again really loud. Man
0: Men- hate responsibility responsibility.
1: (laughs) we're slackers
0: just to find my entire work week
2: um but it i mean think about it i mean we can't decide what we're going to have for dinner we flip a coin okay we we can't decide and we and we don't blame our we blame the coin we don't if especially if we like okay i want pizza or i want burritos flip a coin it's pizza and the pizza just doesn't sit well well you blame the coin then And man hates that kind of responsibility. They want to have it taken away from them, which is where you get a lot of the historical ones where they go to a diviner, a seer, a prophet, and the prophet says, uh, yes, go to this place and do X, Y, and Z. And they go there and they do X, Y, and Z, and it doesn't turn out. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, they can then go back to the seer who then goes, oh, you didn't follow all of the details. Or if they lost the war going, ah, well, it was the gods. It was the fates. It wasn't my fault. The gods decided. or You the- did
0: not sacrifice a big enough cow.
2: Exactly. Or you
0: sacrificed from the wrong herd. Uh.
1: Or you didn't sacrifice your daughter.
0: That's interesting. I never really thought of that as, as the other part of divination. That's the, well, I don't want it to be my fault if I'm wrong, so I'm going to put it somewhere else. Absolutely. That's a really
1: useful insight mm. as a writer of magic systems, because all of a sudden it's like, yeah, it makes sense.
0: So cartomancy in the cards. Uh, mm-hmm. what's, what's crystal gazing then? How do you how does crystal gazing go oh, into
1: it? Oh, the old witch with the giant crystal sphere. Yeah. What is it like, really?
2: Well, okay. so the giant crystal sphere that we see, especially like with Madame Leota and Disneyland, if anyone's been to the Haunted Mansion, you see that huge crystal ball. That is Hollywood. That is paintings after like the 1800s. It was something large and showy that they could have there in period. And when I say period, I mean before 1600s during the 1600s you're not going to find a massive crystal that size we're talking about something probably maybe a third again as large as a, a a golf ball and yeah it's going to have all these wonderful inclusions in it and everything and they have light going through it and they're making they're, they're seeing thoughts in their heads their imagination is running and so that's where they're getting these ideas, and they're putting them into some... This is what is a great thing about being a storyteller, is that a storyteller, in a way, is their own kind of diviner, mm. because you are looking at something, and thoughts come to, into your head, and you are creating an answer, a future of where the story is going.
0: I had a weird sort of sudden question pop into my head. Mm kaleidoscopes we play with them as kids etc were they originally a divination device or was it just somebody thought hey this is cool
2: someone's thought they were cool they were just fun but on that same line how many of you out there own a uh, magic eight ball Ooh, magic eight balls on everybody's desk of a certain age yeah magic eight balls were actually um came out in the 1940s 1940s, that late? That, and they were. That early? <laughs> <laughs> that early, yeah. They were actually one of those businessmen game things. It was like, you have the darts on how to make decisions on the wall. And you, yeah. But it was, and this was sat there and it was like, oh, I wonder if I'm going to make this uh, deal today. Oh, signs point yes, yay, and put it down. And now you have people here in the 21st century still playing the stock markets based on this little plastic toy. Made in the 1940s, but that's the whole thing. The simplest of things have become the most important things to people in the sense of trying to make decisions.
0: So we have cartomancy. We have what's crystal reading called? Crystal
2: is just crystallomancy. It falls under scrying. That's a whole scrying. Other thing. yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe I should get to this one part about the three bits. Divination, and again, before 1600s Western Europe, divination can be broken down to three things: the body the universe, and nature. And what I mean by that is that, okay, let's start with nature. If you had a question regarding nature in the sense of when will it rain? Uh, will my crops grow well? Uh, how is my, uh, my, uh, my animals doing this year? The, the, will my chickens lay eggs enough? Will they, the cows give proper birds? All this kind of stuff. That is considered nature. Um, and that, those questions would be answered by things in nature. So you would look at storms, you would look at how rivers flow, you would look at how a tree is, uh, how what its colors, its leaves are going. If cows are giving milk at a certain rate or they've dried up, that's also nature. And so that was the one part. Nature answers nature. Nature answers questions about nature. Okay. When you get to the body, as far as like, when will I die? What does this mole mean? How many children will I have? Will I get married? These are considered, yes, even will I get married, is considered questions of the body. Mm-hmm. You would consult the body. This is where you get palmistry. This is where you get phrenology. Anything regarding to the health is like, okay, I have a fever, what does that mean? Or I've been, this uh, scar has shown up, what does that mean? Um, All these different things. The shape of your foot. Yes, ladies, the shape of the foot matters. (laughs) Do do your ankles attach
0: high or low? I think that's very important about your stock market futures. There's a great
2: one called opholomancy, and it deals with the shape and location of your belly button. I
0: said awful, I was sure it was poop. O-P-H-A-L. Okay. Thank you.
1: I I have to go back for a second. Phrenology, I believe, is actually a failed science rather than a divination method.
2: Most of them are failed sciences. sciences. (laughs) No,
1: phrenology was started by the French once they realized um, that they were trying to attach characteristics to physical matter, and so they...
0: I, I'm going to argue that one. It is earlier than French doing it because this was all the way back from Chinese, from some research that I was doing for a gaming project coming up of the physiognomer facial structure of the five elements of harmony. The,
1: and physiognomy and, and phonology <laughs> are not the same thing. But I have sidetracked us. Let's go back to the <laughs> body is of the body. We Met- have a side argument about that maybe at the end of
2: this. Uh, Metascopy. Metascopy deals with the placement of birthmarks, the size and the placement placement of birthmarks on a man or a woman, and it tells you what kind of personality or personality traits you have. Are you someone who is trustworthy? Oh my God, Are we cannot loyal? let
0: Chaz listen to this episode. <laughs> he had an enormous mole removed, as as we all know. Who? Fought. Oh, oh I my should, God!
2: And there's this one for one on his shoulder. I'll have to look it up. I know.
0: Please do, yes. and and we'll, we'll put that in the notes here so that Chaz will know his future.
2: <laughs> um, but. Also, like, lines on the forehead. Everything that everyone has, but no one has the same thing. Your fingerprints are not the same. Botox, Botox, Botox. Botox. Actually, let's go back to the uh, Roman Caesar. Um, When we talk about palmistry, palmistry did not start out trying to tell your future. It didn't. It actually started out as a way to determine a person's personality traits. He even had a selection of individuals in his army that would question or look at the palms of various military up-and-coming people in his group, and they could go, this person is loyal, this person is trustworthy, this person is brave, and Mm. he would select his generals from this. Wow. Well, well,
0: you know, flash forward, you get Napoleon did not ask if his generals were skilled or knowledgeable. He asked if they were lucky. So, Which uh, is where you get all planning is in vain if an angel pisses in the flintlock of your musket.
1: And, and luck was considered by the Norse to be a superior quality to many others.
0: I, I assure you that if any of us had luck on our character sheet, I would rather have luck even than riches. And riches used to be the thing that I wanted most. So, luck.
1: Well, riches can get the, the predictor, the magician, the prophet to make the right prophecy for you yeah. if you have the right prophecy
0: so so here's a word that I've been playing with because we were talking about bodies what about necromancy necromancy necromancy, necromancy. Oh. <laughs> sorry a little latin uh,
2: <laughs> necromancy oh my gosh So that, does, that's another one Hollywood kind of put up uh, flipped onto its back
0: I mean, there's a lot of fiction and fantasy out there with evil, bad necromancers. So what was necromancy originally?
2: Necromancy originally is closer to mediumship, which is basically if you're, you're talking to the dead, you're talking to spirits, raised spirits, but you're talking them and you're asking them questions as well as asking them to do certain things.
1: So seances.
2: Along those lines, which is why you'll find in the Jewish faith, um, mediumship is actually forbidden. Um, Seances are forbidden in the Jewish religion. Because why are you talking to a spirit that is God's uh, domain? Okay. Um, God has the answers, not all these guys. Um, But there is a a whole scene in the Bible in the, it's the witch of Endor. No, Mm -hmm. she is not an Ewok. But it's the Witch of Endor who is asked to bring up a prophet for a king. And you have this whole thing of of he's just there to answer questions. That's all it is. Whereas you go forward several hundred years now from into the 20th century, 19th century, whatever, Victorian era forward. And people think it's about raising legions of the dead to take over the world. When it and was n- do
1: my evil when bidding.
2: When it was nothing like that. Granted, if you want to go with the Hollywood version, do that. You might as well also get the basketball-sized crystal ball along with it. Have fun. But if you want the actual uh, period and historically accurate, it's necromancy, which means it comes from the Greek "necros," dead. Um, but also it's called uh, nigromancy. There is a beautiful, glorious... Um, manuscript paintings showing the high arts of the church a catholic church at the time and this is probably in the 1400s and at the you've got stuff like language politics mathematics geography music all the way up and up and up and up and at the very top there is um off to one side is necromancy and there is a priest Speaking to a small shade, and that's what they were. They were considered shades, shadows of a person, shadows of an entity. They didn't have corporeal form, they weren't these physical things. But you could call them up to answer questions, or if you needed some sort of advice, going, Do you know where this is? Say, Do you know where Where the treasure is hidden? Where did I leave my keys? Where did I leave my keys? They're going to roll their eyes at you, point, and leave. Um, But but, now you know. But this was also the Catholic Church considered necromancy for a time to be acceptable, as long as it was performed by uh, specifically trained priests in the church. Wow. I know, fun. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, is there magic outside the church if we look as... For a long time, you had a triumvirate. It seems of religion was also mathematics was also magic. So all of these things went together. Some of the, the Greek and Milesians early schools were they wrote poetry, which was the basis of early trigonometry and the basis of early mathematics based on are, the heavenly spheres. Are you talking
2: spheres.
1: about the, the Pythagoreans?
0: I am. <laughs> so,
1: let's if, name them, the Pythagoreans. There.
0: Anaximenes, Anaximander, Thales—they
1: oh, um, all—they all took. Those could
0: names. all be the Milesians. Yeah. People can people can shoot me because I can't remember my ancient possibly, oh. but.
1: So pulling this back in, um, <laughs> no, no, and that's the beauty of this topic is we're certainly still on topic, but there's so much. There's of a it.
0: lot more magic we can come back to, but.
1: Yeah, uh, gotta <laughs> ask you, O oh, oh, student of the arts, the woman who makes chicken talk. The woman who, I can't use that line, you have to use the line.
2: I do have to use the line. <laughs> He's kind of referring to my uh, my my blog, which is Prognosticating Cow.
1: Prognosticating Cow.
2: Yes, it comes with the tagline of where you too can scry over spilt milk. That I can't it. even take credit for that line. That's a Phil Folio line from the Myth Adventures, but it was too brilliant not to use.
1: Yay. Yay. So we've talked about some of the changes. Are there any really obvious changes? And you've, you've given us some good inner structures to magic as it was.
0: Well, there's there's one that's very, you brought up on the problem of nature, and I'll go back there and talk about geomancy, which on the one hand, some people are like, oh, it's all about ley lines and this, but it really wasn't. It's more related to the dousing and the finding of water.
2: Geomancy?
0: It's some of it was in the early pieces, especially when you go further east, because east was where is good for you to build your house? Where do you uh, want it e- actually... By
1: east, you mean an eastern culture.
0: Eastern culture.
1: Not over there.
0: Yes. So east, we had a brief discussion of whether east... For me, east meant China. East meant Indonesia. East, far, far east. The western bracket of it is where her east starts. <laughs> so different east for the different but on the far side you had the geomancers that where is propitious to build this and they were a combination of being able to actually say, huh, it looks like there's a water flow. They were the early geographers who could look at something and say, you know, that's a talus slope we shouldn't build here. Mm -hmm. Don't pitch your camp where it gets, you know, in the middle of the desert where the grass is green. Everyone knows that's where it floods. But the last piece of it that came later of the wind and air is where you get feng shui today. So it is still a practice in its own way. Oh, absolutely. A far Eastern, you know, old magic
2: in design principles that they practice. And we'll bring it up to and also bring it up the design principles something I really wish I would love to see more writers do be that in literature in games or such like that is function follows form. In this case location. Because a lot of the divinations the, the, the divinations the lot of D's there. Followed the culture And where the culture was located. If you were in, say, a fishing town, you would have divination that dealt with the storms, the water, how much fish came in, what kind of fishes you caught, the sightings of mermaids maybe, all that kind of stuff. If you're in the desert, in in an arid area, you're going to deal with things more in a desert community. Light dirt, which is where we do see more of the geomancy in the Middle Eastern areas, because we're looking at more of a of an arid sand environment. So with writers, I would really like them to concentrate on what kind of environment have they set their world in or set their story in, and then create your divination from that. Be it one that's actually found in period or, or that you've taken bits of and created your own in your own world building, but something that actually fits that culture and that environment.
0: That's awesome. I think that's excellent advice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to put links to a lot of the stories, or at least the what the heck is that, uh, the way we normally do, on our website, which is www.ridersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter. We answer email. Um, Sandra will also be delighted to answer email if you happen to write her some questions. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the host. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey-Schween, and our sound engineer and divination backup spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on ManyHatsMusic.com. Our podcast sponsor in the future will be One Day Again Jackal Designs, who's designed all our really cool WD swag, WDC swag, including the Live at Mally's t shirt. Go check it out. That'd be cool.